0: We're about to light up Season 3 of Drifter Sympathy on Feral Audio. Episode 1 is called Dawn of Individuation, which rolls the clock back to right when you decide who you want to be and the kinds of early decisions that, for better or worse, completely mold the rest of the shape of your life. And episode 2 is going to be called Loner Legends. Sort of an attempt to define who the underdog really is and their role in history and culture and art. Season 3 drops on October 23rd. This is Emo Amos. Check out Drifter Sympathy on FeralAudio.com.
1: Feral Audio P-R-A Public Radio America It's like a tote bag for your ears.
2: This week on a special edition of Your Welcome, the 131st Annual Book Award for Books has just announced its winners. We'll run down the list of nominees and winners of fiction, nonfiction, and the newly formed category DIY. What does that stand for? You'll find out. We have synopses, reviews, author interviews, and an interview with the son of an author who died. All this plus retractions today on You're Welcome. Welcome to your welcome. I'm Stefan hyphen and I am neither a crossword puzzle buff, nor a sudoku nut. Today's episode celebrates the 131st Annual Book Award for Books, something we do annually, as in once a year, like in just one episode per year. Because honestly, not many folks talk about books, and the books we do talk about aren't many. But this episode will be full of everything book talk. The awards have been going on for much longer than this show has been around, so why break the tradition for the sake of breaking tradition? This leads us to the inevitable 131st Book Award for Books. Here are the nominees for the Fiction category. Jesus Take the Wheel by Teddy Irvine. A crime noir reimagining of the New Testament that presents Jesus Christ as the getaway driver for the Bethlehem Mafia. When he tries to get out of the mob life and start his own gang, things go predictably wrong. Mitchell Chambers of the Galesburg Gazette says, Remember that bit in the Bible where Jesus beats people up for selling stuff at the temple? Well, imagine a whole book of scenes where Jesus beats people up, but mostly in restaurants and alleys. Crime Doesn't Pray. Five stars. The Civil War Wives Club by Jasmine Tillman While brother fights brother, sisters are doing it for themselves. The wives of Union and Confederate soldiers get together for brunch in their divided houses on the border of the Mason Dixon suburbs. There they gossip relentlessly about everything they read in correspondences from the battlefields, which inadvertently qualifies as treason. President Lincoln pardons each of them on the condition that they share their secret recipes for gooey butter cake, and they each refuse and are hanged. Lava Lambs and Lipstick by Betsy Nancy a contemporary women's novel that you won't see in Oprah's book club. It's the journey of a 1960s call girl who uses her PTO to take acid in her living room, only to find out that these streets are more hospitable than the confines of her own mind. And the Book Award for Books goes to The Return of the Blades of the Swords of West Dragonland, the latest in a series of posthumously published books from beloved fantasy author civil rights activist, lecturer, poet, and world-renowned essayist, Nigel B.C. Manticore. This work is set in Manticore's meticulously detailed fantasy realm of West Dragonland, carefully mapped out over the course of five decades. The Blades of the Sword series, made up of eight books before Manticore's death and twenty books after his death, follows the continuing journey of Sir Heinrich Scrimptius, the only virtuous warrior left in a land torn by war, rape, theft, incest, incest, and more incest, as he attempts to follow his own code and maintain some tiny shred of civilization. In Return of the Blades, Sir Heinrich comes across a village of cannibals and tries to teach them table manners. The gossip surrounding the West Dragonland series has been impossible to ignore. Fans of West Dragonland have been extremely vocal about a lack of continuity between the original and posthumously found novels. Like this extremely vocal fan, Billy Tong, of Spokane, Washington...
3: Everyone knows Manticore ended in West Dragonland series intentionally with Book 8, the definite ending of the Blades. I mean, Sir Heinrich leaps from a castle tower to sacrifice his own life by landing on a pile of medieval dynamite. <laughs> he died a hero's death, as was always his destiny.
2: And is it even remotely possible, in your opinion, That the definite ending of the Blades ended on an ambiguous note, leaving the door open for perhaps 20 more books? Is it possible Sir Heinrich didn't really die?
3: I have my first edition copy right here. Check it out. Page 1,704.
2: Jesus Christ. Huh? Nothing.
3: Okay, so anyway, I'll read this paragraph to you. Sir Heinrich is dead, cried the king of the orphans. He died to save the orphan kingdom in our scientific research towards the common bubonic plague. He died a hero's death. He is truly a hero and a dead one at that. The deadest of heroes. Is it possible he's not dead? The princess of orphans asked, cocking her head to one side like a curious puppy. He is so clearly, obviously dead, the king of... The orphans replied, a bit offended by the stupid question. I mean, look at him. Look at him. His head looks like someone dropped a ceramic bowl onto a rocky beach. His body is exploded all over the place. I can't even tell if that's an arm or a leg over there. The princess of the orphans stared at the burnt piece of Sir Heinrich and admitted she also could not identify the body part that it used to be. Shame, she said, weeping. He was really attractive and well-groomed, and now the only way to describe him is, one word, dead.
2: So, Sir Heinrich died. Yes. It could have been a body double to fake his death, though.
3: No! The local witch doctor checked his dental records. It was him. He died.
2: Is it possible... No! Alternate universe... No! Time travel... No! No! Identical twins?
3: Don't be ridiculous! Sir Heinrich's twin already died in Book 7, The Twinning of the Blades.
2: And you're sure his twin really died?
3: Yes!
2: The accusations from West Dragonland's fans are aimed like flaming poison-tipped arrows straight at Nigel B.C. Manticore's son, Maxwell D.E. Manticore, who received his father's entire literary estate after Nigel Manticore died of... Two heart attacks and something extremely rare called a brain attack. Since the turn of the millennium, Maxwell has insisted that his father had a series of unpublished manuscripts that continued the popular and profitable saga of Sir Heinrich in increasingly long, and therefore more expensive, volumes. After the fan base has grown increasingly disgruntled, however, and with the book award for books prompting even farther outrage, we reached out to Maxwell Manticore to give him the chance to speak on his own behalf of his father's, uh, behalf. Maxwell Manticore, thank you for finding time in your busy schedule. Yeah, uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, thank you is a customary sign of appreciation. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations on your father's posthumous book award for books. Thanks,
0: Uh, my dad would say. Yeah, I I really thought this one in particular was uh, a... Good idea. Of
2: my dad's. Indeed. In this book, Sir Heinrich teaches table manners to cannibals called The People Who Eat People.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sir Heinrich is, like, walking through the woods, minding his own business. The nerds who read these books would do well to learn from him. When he finds a bunch of people who eat people, cooking a bunch of women and children, Sir Heinrich is like, Oh, I want to make the world a better place, blah, blah, blah. So he goes up to the people, and he's all like, Hey, and they go, yeah. And he's like, uh, you're using the wrong fork. So he teaches the cannibals how to be, like, you know, more civilized and stuff.
2: And for those who haven't read it, that is actual word-for-word dialogue from the book.
0: Look, you know, after 28 books, it's like, people get it! They talk, they say stuff, let's keep it moving, we've got thousands of pages of Dragonville Town to see, you know?
2: Indeed. Yeah. There are also certain selections deep in the book where Sir Heinrich is referred to as... Sir What's-His-Name, The Guy, The Sir Guy, and on page 1,502, The Guy Who Helps People, you know the one, the same guy who's been doing it this whole time.
0: You know, if if my dad were here, you know what he'd say? He'd say, you try writing 2,000 pages of this shit.
2: Is that your official statement to readers who say the quality of the books has gone downhill dramatically?
0: Yeah, you know, my official statement is, uh, nerds, hey, Nerds, listen up. Schedule a sex appointment once in a while. You know, if Return of the Blah 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 Sword crap was such a bad book, then why did it just win the book award? Bam! How do you like me now? Answer that, nerds! (laughs) Step. Step to me, nerds.
2: Indeed. Uh, I will say, technically, it won the award for longest book of the year.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I already said thanks. Uh, From my dad.
2: Right. What is your response to criticisms that your father intended the Blade of the Sword series to end with Book 8 by definitively killing Sir Heinrich once and for all?
0: Uh, he did not kill Sir Heinrich once and for all. He killed him nuts and not at all. He came back to life in Book 9.
2: Yes, the not-really-deadening of the Blade. Damn straight. So how did he come back to life? There's not really any mention of what happened. I don't, you know... Magic and shit. He just magically came back to life?
0: Yeah, it's West Dragon Place. They got dragons and shit there. Look, this was 20 books ago. Okay, it's ancient history. Get over it, maybe. Maybe stop dwelling.
2: The president of the Sir Heinrich fan club argues that in the first eight books, Sir Heinrich would have stopped the cannibals from eating innocent villagers instead of teaching them to eat them with napkins.
0: Uh, you know, heroism comes in
2: many forms, and blah, blah, blah. Yes, that is written verbatim on his shield in this book. V- finally, how many more unpublished manuscripts are on the way from the late Nigel Manticore? Uh, seriously, dude? I just,
0: I, I just finished discovering this last one. Let's see, uh, my calendar open on my phone, and oh, can't forget that appointment. Okay, um... The publisher already bought another 10 unpublished manuscripts, so I'm supposed to start discovering his next one uh, late next year.
2: Maxwell D.E. Manticore, thank you for your time. Oh, and here's your book award for books. Great.
0: Thanks a bunch, and uh, I'll keep it in the trash can. Or next to the trash can. Looks fine there.
2: P.R.A. and Your Welcome World News are brought to you by... The Elias Morgendorf Foundation for Piñata Rescue. Working to remove piñatas from abusive homes and bring children's birthday parties to swift justice. Back to our special edition of Your Welcome with the 131st Book Award for Books. Pencil diving right back in, here are the nominees for the nonfiction category. A Whoops Against the Free World, a brief history of people who accidentally shot the president while cleaning their guns by William Bakersfield. Lip Lamps and Lava Sticks by Nancy Betsy. A true story about a 1960s call girl who takes acid in her living room. In the course of 12 hours, Marigold gets lost in the web of her own thoughts, mistaking her trendy home decor for an army of aggressive troll faces. Killer Confidence. A serial killer's guide to only listening to the positive voices inside your head. A collaborative piece written anonymously. But we're at liberty to guess from the jail cells of Charles Schmansen, Shannis Schrader, Schaubert Schurst, and from the homes of Chasey Shanthony and Shoshay Shimshin. And the winner of the nonfiction category goes to Copy That Here's Chartreuse Belljar, Intrepid PRA reporter, with Ian Jompers, award winning author of Copy That
4: Congratulations Ian. Now, um, without too many spoilers, what else can you tell us about your book?
0: Now, I like to write from true human experiences.
4: Um, even though this this is a fictional story.
0: Yes, yes, of course. I write from what I know.
4: So, for example, um this story centers on a woman, so um would you claim to know what it's like to be a woman?
0: Well, I've been around women. I have a mother, estranged, but I still have one I was given birth to. An older sister, about 11 years my elder. Um, Oh, a housekeeper, she puttered about. Uh, some substitute teachers while growing up were definitely of the female variety. I know them. Women, ladies, girls. You, you all.
4: Um, yes, well, us. Um. Hmm. Well, speaking of perspective, uh, you also write from the point of view of someone who has Asperger's. You-
0: yes, that I can imagine with my imagination. Uh, imagination fuels
4: writing. Well, well to, to be clear, this book received an award for best non-fiction. Um, your book was published as non which is... A book based on facts I'm
0: saying it's a true non-fictional thing to write from a perspective on real-life scenarios here's some facts women are real Asperger's is real and FedEx kinko's is very real
4: well they are in over 220 countries uh, 1900 in the US alone um, well uh, perhaps You've had actual experience with uh, FedEx, Kinkos, or uh, did someone you know work? At one? I uh, 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 in the mailing world at at all, maybe. Mm, uh, uh, office supplies. And o- you've had an office job.
0: Thinking.
4: Um. Uh, in any, um. Ian, have you any any job? Have you had a job ever? As
0: I rack my brain. Uh, I've come to the conclusion and the realization that I have never worked at a job, ever, but other people have, and that is what I bounce upon.
4: People that you don't know, personally. Yes, precisely. Uh, Ian, that that makes this book fiction, then.
0: Chimis, let me ask you a question.
4: Uh, Chartreuse.
0: Yes. Have you ever had... A vivid dream?
4: Uh, rarely, but when I do, it's usually about cats, like me actually being one. And have you ever had
0: a dream where you wake up and all of the things and feelings that uh, fluttered about in your mind as you were in Slumberland, that you that these things happened that you didn't know you had? These feelings towards people, and they feel so strong and so real.
4: Um. Uh, n- n- no, no. Um. Usually, well, cats don't really have... Thoughts or feelings. So. Well,
0: that's how I feel about this book. I feel so much for this character, this condition, this struggle she goes through.
4: Um, but just to be clear, uh, dreams are not real life. Can we be certain? Uh, y- yes, I- I'm I'm sure. But I- I- Ian, uh, how how can you claim to write a book that is nonfiction about a mental disorder when? You and no one you know has experienced it, and you've done zero research. Huh? Ian, uh, are you? uh hello, huh? Ian. I'm asking you a direct question, and you, I will not. Uh, you're averting your eyes. I will not. I will not leave until you answer this question. Uh, Ian, this is embarrassing. I. Normally do not show what's left of my feelings on this program, but I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable and antsy and frustrated, and this is rebellion. You are refusing to answer me. Now, you are certainly not allowed to exhibit autistic behaviors when you yourself are not autistic. Okay, well, okay, well, this this interview should serve as proof that you and your fictional book do not deserve this coveted award. I'm keeping it and placing it right here. I'm going to watch it.
2: Thank you, Chartreuse Belljar, for that very enlightening, award-winning interview with an award-winning author of an award-winning book that definitely deserves it. PRA and Your Welcome are brought to you by Uber. They're totally different from Lyft. And by Lyft. They are totally different from Uber. The short list for the Book Award for Best DIY Book Award has come a long way since its foundation. In 1957, the Croakery Award was created to honor the year's best cookbooks and popular mechanics manuals. But today, the category has evolved to encompass any do-it-yourself starter guide. This year's nominees were Journeys in 3D Printing, From Nunchucks to Nukes by Caden Steelhawk, Millions of people worldwide know Steelhawk for starring in the longest-running CBS series to date, Bounty Assaulter. His recent collaboration with scientists brings military-grade weapons to your desktop 3D printer. How to Live in the Dark Olden Times by Night Time. This impeccably researched account of life in the world of advanced dungeons and dragons will raise readers' eyebrows with new ways to live and die. Eating Right, The Ronald Reagan Diet. By White Hellman. In this best-selling cookbook, Hellman details menus from the 40th President's Kitchen. Newsweek says, hamburger soup is a president of lunch. While all of these books were gems, there could only be one winner. This year's Jello Award went to a truly groundbreaking work. Writing Your First Terror Novel Using Stories from Real Life by Scare E. Man. That's man with two ends. The author that penned Blood Geyser, Dead Babies in a Bag, and Rabies Wolfman spills his secrets on how to spin your normal terrors into a best-selling novel. And joining us now in the studio is Scare E. Man. Thank you so much for joining us, Scare E. Pleasure. You didn't start out as a writer. You spent most of your time unemployed. How did you come to terror novels?
1: Well, on (coughs) 9-11... You know, the towers, they were just coming down. And I lived near a laundromat in Kanasi with my mother. And what people don't know is that there was more than one terror on 9-11. Okay, that same day, a murderer was discovered at that laundromat while my mom
2: was washing clothes. Your mother discovered a murderer?
1: Yeah. So I asked my mom, I said, hey, how'd you know he was murdering? And she says to me, the water in the machines he was using was red. And I said, red like an old rose? Because she was holding roses, you know, but they were crummy roses, like from some guy's trunk. And she said, yeah, and there was a severed head in the washer with maggots on it. And that's where I got the title of my first novel.
2: Ah, that's uh, red like an old rose?
1: No, maggot washer. Ah, yes, that's right.
2: That must have traumatized your mother.
1: Nah, not really. Stuff like that happens to her all the time.
2: That brings me to your newest bestseller, writing your first terror novel using stories from real life. The first chapter actually says terror is everywhere. You just have to know how to find it. How did you go about finding your ideas for these books?
1: Well, here's an example, okay? One time, my ma was coming in the house for my auntie's funeral, and her eyes all exploding with fear, right? And I said, ma, what's the matter? And she says, auntie winked at
2: me. That is frightening, but it certainly isn't true
1: it is true, okay, and I used it as the last line in my bestseller she winked he screamed, okay, I haven't memorized the ghost Hey, and he looked up his dead auntie and she looked back and winked, then he screamed, okay, a lot of people come to me and said that really terrorized him
2: A corpse winking at you is scary, but Again, literally cannot be true.
1: Okay, and I use that as an example of syntax in my book on
2: writing. But that didn't really happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Chapter 12 is about what order you're putting the words in. Like, what if the book title was, hey, he screamed, she winked. Like, different kind of book altogether. Certainly. Yeah, exactly. That's more like a line you'd see in a a clue-solver novel. He's, like, telling everybody she winked like she did something, but in mine it's like, Mama, you're gonna get haunted. Okay? The order of the words, it matters.
2: Okay. Let me ask you about novel structure. Now, in Chapter 10, you point out not all novels have a beginning, middle, and end, but you encourage writers to use that structure for clarity.
1: Right. Okay. Otherwise, it's too complicated. You just put the story in the right order.
2: That does seem important. And yet, in my favorite of your works, the one about the time-traveling dog... Yeah, Mauler. Yes, right, Mauler. The dog is jumping through time, killing presidents... But when the dog comes back home to the present, nothing has changed.
1: Right, yeah. See, that was my foray into the speculative shocker genre. It's not a terror book because it's not based on real terrors that have befallen me or someone I know. Okay? Like, Blood Geyser was a story based on something that happened to my mama.
2: The book about an evil geyser in Yellowstone was based on a true story. That's the one. What possibly could have happened to your mother that would inspire that book?
1: Okay, it was when the Japanese bombed the Pearl Harbor, okay? (coughs) I'm sorry, just give me a minute.
2: (coughs) This is great radio. Okay,
1: my mom. she was at Yellowstone on a honeymoon, okay? And this geyser started talking to her, saying, like, really threatening, mean stuff, like... You are not a good person. I'm gonna get you. And blood just started... Are
2: all of your books just retellings of stories your mother told you? Yes.
1: Okay, they were true stories. I adapted to fiction.
2: And now you can too. Congratulations on your award. Before you leave, will you sign my beloved copy of Mahler, first edition? Yes. PRA Public Radio America and Your Welcome World News are brought to you by Screen Junkies. Watch Honest Trailers and other popular videos at youtube.com backslash screenjunkies. And by Hal Rudnick at Twitter. You can find him at the very straightforward Twitter handle, at Hal Rudnick. That just about wraps it up for this week, but first, we are right all the time, except for when we are not. So, here are this week's retractions. Chicken nuggets are not vegetables. Mr. Potato Head is not edible. Mrs. Potato Head is also definitely not edible. Candles are not easily digestible. Reader's Digest, while technically digestible, is not easily and should not be eaten. Consumers report should not be eaten regularly. Only in the event of starvation or rations in a cataclysmic event should photographs of food be eaten. And finally, Swallowing toothpaste while you brush your teeth is not a foundation of a vegan diet. Quick update on our PRA fundraiser, we are up to 2.8% of our fundraiser goal. Donors at the $1 level will receive a t-shirt of equal or lesser value. Thank you for having us on in the background while you drive. Special thanks to Special Correspondent Hal Rudnick along with, as always, research interns Madeline Wager, Levi Petrie, Eric Stoles, and B.J. Emery, and in-studio basket weaver Zane Grant. I'm Stefan hyphen Stratman, saying thank you, and you're welcome. This podcast is brought to you by FeralAudio.com, fiercely independent podcasts, home of Harman Town, Call Chelsea Peretti, Mystic Party, and more. You can donate at our show page at feralaudio.com or use our Amazon affiliate link when shopping on Amazon.
1: P.R.A. Public Radio America. You're smarter already.
3: Feral Audio. I can't believe how cold it is. It's so cold. Are you fucking right here. serious? do you put it on your phone? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. i